Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the CityWire Selective Podcast. I'm Jessica Vid, international reporter. This time around, it's all about fees in asset management. Our guest, Alex Brandreth, who oversees third-party fund selection and is deputy CIO at Brown Shipley, discusses how he approaches fees when selecting funds on the active but also on the passive side. He also explains how the mounting pressure surrounding fees and the race to the bottom has affected his selection process. Alex, hi. Hi, Jessica. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. So uh, there's been a lot of pressure at the moment um, on the fees that asset management firms charge, mm-hmm. especially at the moment with Fidelity Investments, who've rolled out the, the zero-cost index funds. What, what do you make of all this? Well, it's, it's clearly a lot of cost pressure that has come in the industry. Um, it started with MIFID II, and it, you know the asset management study more recently is highlighting the fees that asset managers are paying. Um, it's it's definitely interesting times um, in terms of you know as, as I was saying to you before it's almost a race to the bottom and now we've actually got to the bottom in terms of pricing with a zero free share class. Um, I think it's also important to understand the product that it's where it's invested, um, and it's also important to recognise that there's probably other costs that are going to be borne by the investor. So it's although it's a it's a good headline that it's a, a free share class. Um, it actually might not be a free share class because you're going to have to pay for custody or brokerage fees as well. So it's it's always worth looking into the detail on these things. Okay, so so there's more to it than it than it first seems. Absolutely, and I think that's always the case. I think it's good in terms of getting headlines, but it's worth always looking into the detail behind it. So do you think it was quite a marketing tool on their part? or? I, the cynic in me would suggest it probably is, um, and it definitely worked because people are talking about it. We're talking about it today, uh, and I, I've been asked more questions on it recently than than anything really. So it's definitely very topical, and it's uh, definitely grabbing headlines. So I, th- I think it's worked from that regard. I mean, you would all, always assume there are more costs behind it all because it, you always hear there's no such thing as a free lunch, but here it seems like that's not the case. That that they are marketing a free. A free product here, mm-hmm. but but that's not happening then. No, so it's only going to be made available to direct Fidelity clients. So you can't do it via an intermediary, uh, and it's only available on the Fidelity platform. So you couldn't get it any, anywhere else. So you have to be invested purely with Fidelity. So Fidelity will be taking a, a custody fee for the assets that are invested there. So they, they're accessing the fund share class for free, but they're not accessing it because you have to be invested with Fidelity to be able to invest in that fund. It is making waves though and, and it feels like we're going to a whole new stage of this of this price war. It's you've seen the effects on on the share prices of the competitors, including BlackRock, T Rowe Price, Invesco, and and many more on the day of mm-hmm. the announcement. Um, do you think they'll respond in any way? Uh, I think so. I think there's definitely downward pressure within the industry and there has been for a long period of time. So I think they're going to have to do something because Fidelity have got f- first mover advantage now. So I think you'd start to see others following in and finding other ways to get there. So maybe they'll be taking a fees from stock lending as opposed to taking it from the annual management charge of the funds. But yeah, I definitely think you start to see others react. Yeah, because so far, I mean, we heard from Martin Small, head of BlackRock's US ETF business. For now, he said there are zero plans for zero-cost ETFs. Mm-hmm. But, but presumably, you know, they are going to have, there's, there's a lot of pressure on just the whole industry as a whole to start making straightforward transparent and, and these low-cost products, isn't there? Well, yeah, I mean, that's part of MIFID too as well, to be more transparent with end clients on costs. 
Uh, so and you know, on top of that, um, you've had the FCA from the asset management study talking about clarity of fees that are really important to clients. So there's a big drive from the regulator and government bodies to make sure that we're being as transparent as we ever have been in terms of costs that end up in client portfolios. You know, in MIFID 2, every year now we have to send an annual cost and charges statement to every client that says in pounds and pence, not in percentage-wise, how much the client's actually paying. So it's never been more clear to the client in terms of what the charges are in relation to a client portfolio. Okay, and as a fund selector, how has that affected the, the kind of products that you invest in? Um, well, we always want to be able to access um, assets in the most efficient manner possible. Um, we, we look at these things and we evaluate them. At the moment, it's still very early days with this Fidelity product, so it's not happened yet. But you know, from a, an annual basis, we evaluate the charges that our passive uh, funds are at to make sure that they're the most efficient in the market all the time. And when we do our next refresh, it's likely that we'll start to pick up these funds within that. And if they've been established for a long time, they've proven that they can track the benchmark. Uh, we understand where they're biased, so how they're in, you know are they in a, any particular sector or any particular theme. Um, and then we can make a, you know, a value judgment on the success of them and decide if we think it's appropriate for, for our client portfolios. Generally, with most things, if, if you buy budget, you should expect a budget service to come along with it. Do you think that's the case in this particular instance? So, I mean, with passives, we do all the work ourselves, so we, get, we don't get that much service from the providers anyway. Um, and that being said, when we're passing this through to our client, I suppose there's such a thing as a passive investment. We don't see asset allocation as a passive strategy, so we're actively making decisions from an asset allocation perspective and then picking the most efficient way to invest. I think the service that the, the ETFs, ETF providers provide to Brown Shipley uh, is important, but you know, with there's so much information and clarity that's available online nowadays, as well as you know, the various investment tools to make sure that the funds are doing exactly as they say, that you know we're very empowered ourselves to make the decision as opposed to you know, getting a poorer service or a better service from the providers. Yeah, of course. What are some of the areas that you typically like to to recommend passive funds for then? Okay, so we do have both active and passive strategies at, at Brown Shipley. So, um, but typically, you know within certain areas we would always go to a certain element of passive. So in more efficient markets where it's harder to find active managers that deliver consistent performance. Um, so the obvious example that everyone touches on there is the US. Um, yeah. So we've been always struggled to find a US manager that consistently outperforms the S&P 500. So we would typically buy an ETF or a passive product there. As you said, the US is a very well-researched market with very few active managers Beating the S and P five hundred, surely it's it's a it's almost a no brainer that you would go for for passive funds, especially for the large caps. Yeah, mostly. I mean, we we have been uh, we do have some very good analysts that work with us as well, and we have found managers that have done very well where they've got a particular style, uh, whether it be very growth orientated, which has been clearly in vogue over the last year or so with the rise of technology stocks. So we've had a very good growth fund, whereas value has been underperforming for a period of time. Um, so we do look at different styles of managing and try and blend and move in as and when we see those opportunities. And then the other thing you mentioned, large cap, we would buy a, a smaller company's active manager just because it's less efficient, there's less people looking at it and we feel that we found managers that can add real value in that part of the market as well.
Are there any specific managers that you like at the moment? Um, so the Bailey Gifford American Fund has been fantastic. So that's been our in our investment universe for a number of years, and over the last year or so, it's been very strong. Um, from a value perspective, uh, we like the JP Morgan US Equity Income Fund. Uh, Claire Hart's fund's been a long-term investment with Brown Shipley, and we clearly like the fact that you're getting a bit of yield at the US, which is, tends to be a lower yielding market. Um, and we've also got in smaller company space uh, the Leg Mason Royce US Small Cap Opportunities Fund. So Royce have got two funds. So they've got US smaller companies and then the US Small Cap Opportunities. It's the Bill Hench Fund that we like. Um, it's got more of a value bias and it's true small cap in the US. I suppose we forget that the US market is huge and smaller companies in the US could actually be FTSE 100 companies in the UK. So this one does go into the real small level um, access part of the market, which which is what we like. Okay, and then on the on the passive side, what are some of the products that you look at there? Um, we've got the SBDR, the Spide S and P five hundred, uh, which I think is about nine basis points uh, OCF. So it's it's pretty competitive uh, in the market, and it's it's one of the biggest and most established that's been in the market for a long time. So we like it that it's got a long track record, but equally it's cost efficient for us as well. Okay, and then, and with these new zero cost. Um, passive funds, especially in the US market, is that something that you would start to look at then? Potentially, as I said, we, we'd need to see it um, with a track record to make sure that it's working and it's performing as we'd expect and, and then equally understand um, the, these products in their own right, so their own benchmarks to a certain extent. So we want to go in and look at the detail behind it really and see how that has behaved historically versus, say, the S&P. Okay, and uh, just, just going back to that, when when would you say we get to a stage where um, where these funds create expectations from investors that they should be able to get exposure to international equities or U.S. equities, which are the foundation of a lot of portfolios, but for absolutely nothing? Uh, so when's it going to come through the rest of the industry? <laughs> wow, um, you're creating this expectation, surely that that it should be. Available. I think I think everyone's going to be going back to the drawing board now to figure out how they can do it and see how they can take fees from other areas to to be able to say that they've got an AMC or an OCF that's zero. Um, how long it's going to take? Um, it depends on the providers ultimately, doesn't it? In terms of how how quickly they can react. But you know you'd be disappointed if they weren't reacting in six to twelve months to this really. Um, so that's that could potentially be you know a lot of change potentially over the next year or so. And presumably you you must put a lot of a lot of energy in in just analysing all the different costs of these products. I mean, very different products between active and passive, but still, even on the active side, surely it's something that you put focus on. So we spend a lot of time meeting with our fund managers and we see them all at least once a year, uh, some a lot more frequently than that if we feel that there's, if we've got concerns or you know it just happened to be in the area, then obviously we're going to meet with them. Um, and it's a big part of the job because it's not just looking at screens and figuring out what the best fund is, it's understanding what's going to be driving the performance in the future. So, And the only way you can really do that is by sitting down and understanding where they're invested, is that performance that they've driven in the past repeatable, so can they continue to deliver performance relative to their respective benchmarks. We've seen, uh, I mean, Fidelity again started and not sure they, they carried through in the end, but with the fulcrum pricing mm -hmm. model that they, they, they were looking at and doing research on last year, seeing a lot of kind of new models coming out. Uh, are you looking at these as well? Yeah, I thought that was a really clever idea where 
active managers and people and full managers that are delivering performance, you pay for that. And whereas if the manager's not performing, then you pay a cheaper fee. I thought that was really clever. Um, there's definitely, we've seen a lot of cost pressure within the active industry as well because of what's happened in passive over the last few years. When I joined the industry 15 years ago, the average passive fund would be 40 basis points and now it's probably 10. So it's, you know, it's gone down by to a quarter of the price. Um, whereas active funds have been pretty much at the same level since I've been in the industry. And now, over the last year or so, uh, we spend every every time we sit down with a manager, we ask, are we accessing the most cheaper share class? So it's not just about what they've done and how they've done it, it's the vehicle that we're investing with as well. And we've had more success over the last year because of this regulatory change in getting access to cheaper share classes. So there's been, even as recently as the last few weeks, we've seen more uh, share classes launched by investment firms, which offer, again, slightly cheaper share classes than they had a year or so ago. Surely it works both ways, though. So if you've got a, a very strong manager, are you, are you more willing to to pay more for that manager? Absolutely, yeah, and, and I think performance fees is a, is a dirty word within the industry and some people don't like paying them. If, if there's a manager there that can deliver consistent performance, then you know, that should be rewarded and you should pay for that. And let's remember that when we're looking at performance, we're always looking at net performance anyway, so we're seeing after all fees have been taken out what the manager's delivered. And if you've got, I don't know, the FTSE 100 and it's done 10% and you've got a UK manager that's done 20%, they've paid for their fees for, for a significant amount of time um, and they've delivered great returns for our clients in the process. So we're, we're not saying that they should go to, to, to rock bottom within the active management industry as well. Um, I think we just were conscious that maybe things could be a little bit more competitive than, than they were and that's definitely started to come through. Okay. And on the active side, are there any areas, regions or even themes where you would always want to, to buy actively as opposed to, to a passive product? Yeah, sure. So um, inefficient markets and areas where corporate governance is a big play. So some examples of that are UK smaller companies. We've always found very good UK smaller companies funds. The problem that we found though is they don't uh, stay hidden for very long in that those funds tend to get very big very quickly uh, as assets pile in and then they're not as they can't deliver the level of outperformance that they did as, as when they were growing. So they've got capacity problems. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So so that's one thing. Another area where we'd always buy an active managers is probably somewhere like emerging markets or Asia, uh, just because corporate governance is so important here. So making sure that you're accessing managers um, that are looking at that in part of their process as well, um, because you don't want to be investing in businesses that you know, have phantom profits or don't really have exist. So it just makes sense from that perspective to be investing there. And then other areas that make sense to have active, I mean, the passive industry has been great in equities and bonds, but it, it's not really come through in terms of alternatives yet, I don't think. So absolute return funds, um, we'd always go to an active manager there where you're paying for the, the fund manager's skill to deliver performance over time. Um, Property is probably another area where we would always go to an active as opposed to a passive product as well. Um, particularly bricks and mortar funds, there's, there's, you can't replicate that within a passive strategy. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think um, within alternatives it's not come through because there's still a long way to innovate or is it because it's just not possible, it's not as viable in that? I think I think it must be it's not viable because you would have seen it come through. Um, and passives have been around for so long now, if it was possible I think you would have seen it. Um, and uh, you know that is an area where you know, as I said, you're paying for skill and you're paying for an active manager to do their job. Um, and there's some great examples of funds that have been able to do that over the long term. Yeah. 
Okay, and um, something we're seeing, I mean, we get press releases through all the time about the new passive products that are being launched, new ETFs, um, and it seems like the names are getting longer and longer. Yeah. And when it was meant huh. to be a, a simple area to to access and to go into, it's it, they, they seem to be getting more and more complex. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we that's where we I think we step in. You know, it's our job to understand what how these performance of these funds is going to be delivered. Um, you know, head share classes, for example. Um, that's a, it's a big area of the market that's that's grown over the last few years which, because people are more conscious of the currency risk they take. Now, ironically, because sterling has been so weak, um, it would have been, for a UK investor, it would have been great not to be hedging currency exposure. So you would have had that added benefit of currency exposure coming through as well. But you're absolutely right. There's different duration buckets that bond managers are targeting. There's different smart beta products that you know we haven't even touched on yet. But yeah, the names are getting longer because there's so many different <laughs> types of products that are out there. Yeah, they, I mean, they definitely are. And for, for some people, it's uh, passive exposure is, is meant to be something that's, that's very easily accessible. And it's, mm -hmm. it seems to be going in a different direction at the moment. Yeah, and you know, I, I like that because it, it keeps people like me in jobs. So we can <laughs> so we can analyze funds. We can and we can make sure that we you know we're investing in the right products and we explain that to our to the private client managers at Brown Shipley so they can make the best decisions for their clients. Are there any new ones on the radar that you're looking at at the moment? Good question. Um, I don't think so at the moment. We have added quite a lot recently. Um, so the amount of passive options in our um, on our fund list has increased. Um, because we wanted to make sure that we we're covering off all the regions, and you know, we have added some head share classes as well. Um, you know, as I mentioned, sterling's been weak, but if you get a good Brexit outcome, that, that tailwind can turn into a headwind very quickly. So we're just being conscious of that as well. So we've done uh, have added some hedge exposure like that. We've always stayed away from the the, the short versions or the the three times leverage short because we think that's more speculative than investment. So we've always stepped away from that. Um, but yeah, most most of the decisions that we've been making recently have been accessing markets in different ways. So whether it be head share classes or just different regions in, entirely. So so with these cheaper and cheaper passive funds, is that going to spill over to your active exposure at all? Is it making you reconsider the share of active um, investments that you're making? So would we expect our exposure to increase? I think wait the. the We'll wait and see. We need to see the, the changes come through, and ultimately, it's it's down to performance. If we want to deliver the best performance to clients in, in the most efficient way, so if uh, if active managers are going through a bad period of time, um, then you potentially could see more passive going into our portfolio. But we've always tried to blend the two anyway. So we've always tried to have a good mix of the two. So we're accessing markets, but we're doing it in the most efficient manner. Would you say um, what part of the cycle would you say we're in at the moment? Uh, are active managers in a good period at the moment, or is it more passive? What What do you think at the moment? Um, yeah, and more recently, um, within the UK and the US, you've seen active managers doing doing better. And we look at the the IA performance of the investment association sectors versus the particular benchmarks, and that is suggesting that. Um, that actors doing better, and active managers do tend to have an overweight to to mid and small cap. So when equities are doing better, talking about obviously just by equity sectors and benchmarks, uh, when they're doing better, active managers tend to do better. And you know, clearly we've been on a risk risk on period now for uh, for a, you know, for a long period since 2009 was the bottom of the market. Um, so it's been a better period for active managers. Um, 
and we don't think the cycle is going to end yet. So we still think active managers can deliver some outperformance over over the coming months as well and coming years. Okay, well, great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. To hear more of the CityWire Selector podcast and tune in again to the latest show, go to citywireselector.com forward slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at CWSelector to stay up to date with all the latest fund industry news. Thank <laughs> you.